diving into data. Diving, diving, data. Diving into data with TC Riley. Yeah, it's time to dive into some data, TC. Time to dive on in, Tyler. How are you doing today, sir? Uh, I'm I'm doing great. How are you? I'm stupendous. Yes. Yeah. That's a big, that's a big word. Yeah. Uh, that's I, some data. I think a lot of people would just say no, stupid, not stupendous. <laughs> but I'm gonna go stupendous, and I'm gonna stay positive today. I dig that. Yeah. I dig that. Uh, did you watch any more of the XFL on weekend two? I, I did. Not not. Uh, it been tr- total transparency. A little bit of I think what the public saw in general was a little bit of a dip off. I didn't watch uh, watch nearly every game the first weekend. Yeah. Only uh, made sure I watched the full uh, local uh, Renegades game here, the Dallas team we got, mm-hmm. um, and checked out a couple other was a little here and there, but. Uh, um, my opinion is still exactly the same. This is a really cool thing to fill the void in the offseason. Um, people who are complaining, I think, are frankly expecting too much and are kind of just being, uh, it's just a little bit of a sour grape situation. Well, this is the quarterback play isn't as good. Da, 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 da. Yes, of course it's not. This isn't, the, this isn't we're taking NFL teams and just having them play in the offseason. Of course it's going to be a, a step down, but yeah. it's entertaining. It's exciting. The new rules are still catching me and saw our first three-point conversion after touchdown this weekend. That was exciting. I'm into that. Yeah, and uh, so uh, it's great for what it is. Stop complaining, folks. Enjoy it. It's more football. If you don't want to watch it, go watch something else. Look, I I sympathize with the the quarterback play has been bad argument. Because I, I do think it has been subpar, hasn't been great. which has held back some of the games to a certain extent. But that being said, that hasn't kept me from watching it right. necessarily. And I thought about you because this some guy went on some rant on Twitter saying, <laughs> "No, the quarterback play has actually been better than the NFL because their quarterback ratings are, you know, on average <laughs> higher or whatever." And I was like, first of all, eight teams, two games." I'm positive we've talked about sample size already on this show. <laughs> like, you're not about to tell me that... Uh, clearly, Landry that Jones clearly... is the best... It makes Patrick <laughs> Mahomes and Lamar Jackson look like garbage. Exactly. That's what I'm telling you. and that That's what I'm here to say. Show is over. <laughs> T- turn it off. The data has told me Landry Jones, after one game, is definitely better than Patrick Mahomes. You heard uh, it here I, first. Actually, yeah, I just saw him in Canton this week, and they're already getting the bus ready for him. You know, make I knew sure it. they're going to throw him in there, too. He, it's him, might as well. <laughs> I knew it. I knew it. But we are not talking XFL today, TC, because we had a really cool sporting event kind of over the past week. We had the NBA All-Star Game, which introduced some changes. And I'm going to be honest, most of the time when All-Star Game formats have changed over the years, they have changed for the much, much worse. I I thought when Major League Baseball went to uh, making the All-Star Game the determiner, determinator? Determining factor. Determining whatever, factor. Whatever. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. Words. Home field advantage. Words are supposed to be my thing. Uh, <laughs> when the uh, when Major League Baseball made the All Star Game the determining factor for who had home field advantage, I thought that was the stupidest thing I'd ever heard of. Personally, just because I don't need Hank Blaylock for the Rangers, you know, deciding who, <laughs> you know, when the Rangers are 30 games below 500 at the All Star break, deciding which team ends up hosting the the World Series, you know, having home field advantage. So. Uh, I completely agree on that point with the MLB All-Star game. And by the way, Hank Blaylock, what a blast from the past there. What, Thank you didn't want to go back to Rusty Greer? He had to go a little... Uh... <laughs> no, th- I, I, I mentioned that specifically because Hank Blaylock jacked a home run in an All-Star game off of... You know, one of the like unhittable. That's absolutely I think, right. Yes. I think it was maybe Eric Gagne at the yes. time or something yes, like I that. Yes, I remember that because I think Michael Young, like the next year for the Rangers, ended yeah. up having the game-winning like double or something like that. I, yeah. I, there was a period there where 
The Rangers had one rep at the All-Star game, but they won the game multiple years in a row. Yes, and um, so then then the Rangers make the World Series in 2010 and 2011, and in neither year do they have home field advantage despite the fact that they should have both years. They got absolutely screwed by the rule. Because some random summer game happened to go the other way of which maybe two people from the teams actually involved in the World Series were involved in. Yes. Couldn't agree more, but... All that to say, this is not that. The no, NBA the did a great a job. Right. Yeah, they might have got something right here, um, which uh, it seems to be a little bit of a theme over the last few years that the NBA seems to be getting more right than some of the other leagues. Looking at you, Manfred. and uh, Oh, my gosh. That jazz is still going on. At some point, we're going to dive into this and just rip the Astros to absolute pieces. But Yes, please. Not quite yet. We're going to get there. Don't you worry, folks. Um, but yes, the NBA All-Star Game. Um, I'll be frank, not something I typically devote my calendar around, put a bunch of time into. Mm-hmm. I think NBA All-Star Weekend's kind of cool. I check out what I can. I check the highlights. Sometimes I'll record like the Dunk Contest three-point just to watch it. Um, but I'm kind of with you in the general. All-Star games in general kind of suck. I love the principle of them, but frankly, the only time I enjoy them is when I'm playing Madden or something like that or you know NBA 2K and have the ability to play with a bunch of really, really good guys. That's, that's about it for me. Definitely. Uh, um, but... The NBA introduced something this weekend that I think was really freaking cool, and we're going to talk about it. So for those of you who didn't watch, what the NBA did is they implemented something called the Elam Ending. All right, so what is this? Um, the Elam Ending was created by a guy, Matt Elam, who is a – I'm sorry, Nick Elam, make sure I get his name right, um, who ironically enough has almost nothing to do with, real, with basketball, not who you think he is. So um, he is a member of Mensa, really smart guy, um, but he's a middle school principal and also part-times as a Reds groundskeeper. Cincinnati Reds, um, exactly who you'd expect to be revolutionizing basketball, a Reds <laughs> groundskeeper. Um, but what he did is he went and looked back, and this is something he's been preaching for almost a decade at this point. Um, he's a really smart guy. He dug into the data. I love it. Looked at the numbers. And what he discovered was what he was going for is an alternative ending to the um, an NBA game or a basketball game in general that eliminates one of the biggest pain points in basketball in that sometimes through fouling, through extending the game in that regard, you can drag out the end of some of these games for you know an extra 20, 30 minutes that's just completely unnecessary. Um, and so what I'm talking about um, specifically, he looked back and one of the more, it was definitely recent, it wasn't when he was developing it, but the 2018 NCAA tournament, one of the articles I was reading up on this from Sports Illustrated did a quick analysis. What they found, 44 of the 70 teams in the 2018 NCAA basketball tournament that were trailing um, at one point in the game tried to foul in order to extend the game in order to catch up. Three of those 44 actually tied or took the lead. One of those 44 actually ended up winning the game. So a very, very, very small percentage of the teams that actually tried this extend the game, hack, you never know what'll happen strategy right. um, did it. And to be fair, it's hard to blame them. There's not an alternative solution now. Um, frankly, the way the basketball operates with shot clocks, with a set game clock and all, if you're down by so many points and the other team can literally just dribble the clock out for, you know, 24 or 35 seconds, whatever it is at uh, whatever level, Mm -hmm. um, and kill the game clock before you physically can score that many points, you don't really have another option. So what this is trying to do is we're not trying to just say, well, you can't automatically file. You can't file and do that. There's not a real solution there because there's not an alternative, but let's literally change the game. Let's change the end of the game, the way this is performed. So what the Elam ending is, is that at some set point at the end of the game, um, in the NBA All-Star game, it was going into the fourth quarter, so 12 minutes left in the game. Um, One of the other uh, things he had suggested previously was actually after the four-minute mark um, of like a college game, four minutes left in the game. So it's a little bit of a flexible kind of range of what we're looking at. But what you do is you kind of say, okay, our score here, again, let's going into the fourth quarter of the All-Star game is 
you know, 100 to 90. We are going to add so many more points to the leading team score and set that as the target score. Okay, so we're going to add 25 points, let's say, to that 100. Now, 125 is the target score. Both teams are now in a race for 125. Yes. The team that was leading still has the advantage there. You know, they got to go 25. The team that was down has 35. But what that has done, it has given them a target. It has set the end of the, you know, kind of the end of the road there. Um, and it has given both teams something to shoot for where just fouling and extending the game and taking more time isn't to your advantage. All you're going to do is help them get to that target score quicker. So it really is just, it's just points. It's not clock. There's no clock involvement. Mm -hmm. Um, and so again, what I saw this weekend, um, and I'd actually seen this, they first rolled this out back in something called TBT, the basketball tournament. Um, it is a, I don't know, semi-pro program. I don't know what you want to consider it basketball tournament. Um, that's held each year. It's kind of a separate thing completely it's almost a little bit more from like the street ball side origins yeah. and things like that yeah. but um it's actually a pretty cool tournament i've actually had one a good friend playing it and when of it two years ago that's Shout pretty out cool to mike camargo um Shout but, out, mike. uh but um what they did is they set this score where i think it was five minutes left in their game they pretty much stopped the clock say all right line in the sand they added so many points and mm -hmm. said okay hit this it was really cool in that and actually there was a bunch of really great endings because um, again, it gave that team behind that motivating factor for, okay, we just need to bridge this gap. We don't necessarily need to try and extend this, and we're going to have the time. We don't have to worry about that. We can just play really good defense. We can play good offense and still come back and win this. Yeah. Um, and the NBA All-Star, you know, the NBA uh, saw this actually, and shout out, uh, I don't typically give him a lot of credit, but Chris Paul actually saw this watching the basketball tournament, um, the TBT, and went to Adam Silver, went to the NBA PA and said, hey, guys, Let's try this. This seems really cool, and this was really interesting and really engaging. They took it. Um, they also combined it with the cool the Kobe tribute they did this year, obviously, with the, the tragic events last month. Right. Um, there's a lot around that this weekend. Um, and one of the big things was they – so the game, the set score was 24 points to, you know, addition in the fourth quarter. Mm -hmm. They originally had planned on closer to, like, 35 based on what they'd expect a normal quarter scoring to be. Um, but they went with 24 for the Kobe tribute. Think that was cool. Think that was awesome um, for him and the other victims there. But um, – the other cool thing is the way that they do this and the way that Elam set this scoring system up is that it's not just an arbitrary target or some exorbitant number and it's going to extend the game. It's literally just taking overall league averages. How much are people expected to score again in the NBA, let's say, in the fourth quarter of an All-Star game? They went back and quickly calculated that both teams on average score about 35 points in the All-Star game, so that was going to be their target. Again, we'll look past the the exception this for the tribute and all that. That's That's fine, but... Um, I think it's really cool how they kind of they use that data to feed into the um, idea of what they're going to do of how they're going to get there. Yeah. So anyway, all this to say, um, this is what it was. And I don't know how much you got to watch, but the game was awesome. This was the most engaged I've ever been in an all-star game. Definitely. The teams, they literally had the same starting five running the entire fourth quarter, um, with the exception of Trey Young and Luca got subbed out for some more veteran guys. Um, I love Luca, but I'm very glad, sir. Please get your ankles yeah, better. Stay Stop. healthy. Yes, yes. Gosh, please just don't mess this up. You're so awesome. Um, but the game went so well. This worked really well. This has been a national story all week. It's been one of the biggest sports topics because everyone is so you know hyped on this. Of this should be the new ending for everything. So one of the articles that they wrote about. I was reading, um, was, I believe it was CBS Sports was talking about, great, is this going to become something in the, you know, the NBA is going to implement overall? Yeah. I'm not there yet. Um, I uh, This is going to be a topic we debate. I think it was really cool for an all-star game and something where you have, uh, frankly, not as much of a real consequence. Mm -hmm. um, 
I'm thinking maybe in playoffs, I'm not sure this should be the format. I'm not sure you should go this way. Maybe it should be just regular season. I actually had this debate in my head yesterday and then ended up turning around and saying, well, actually, no, it should be just the, you know, just the other way. Only do it in the postseason. Don't do it in the regular season. I'm a little twisted, but I am curious to see where it'll go. Um, But what I kind of laid out is in my head what the major pros and cons are just very quickly. You can compare the pros. You stop fouling, you stop the hack-a-shack, and just everyone's sitting there watching people shoot free throws back and forth, which, in effect, reduces the time of the game. Time of games is something where all pro sports leagues are kind of struggling with. Um, the consumers today have a much shorter attention span. They expect things a lot more um, digestible quick. Um, even the NFL, the king of all kings when it comes to the TV, is having trouble sometimes keeping people around for a four-hour game. True. It, it's just not that fun. Um, MLB is definitely experiencing this issue, which is why they've been testing out the pitch clocks and things of that nature. Um, the other big pro, especially for this game, was that it has to end on a game-winning shot. That's always fun. It's cool to have a game-winning. You don't have you have walk-offs in baseball. One of the most exciting plays in baseball: walk-off home or walk-off hit. You've never had one of those. Yes, you have people who happen to hit a buzzer beater, but it's the clock ending that ends the game. It's not the shot. Whereas this is truly the shot, the basket. Unfortunately, in the NBA All Star Game, the free throw that ends the game. Um, and it's just frankly more exciting. It was really cool. So lots of pros. The cons that we do need to you know be aware of. Um, scoring ver- uh, varies a lot from game to game, from team to team. True. Um, it's going to be kind of hard to if you have a slow it down, back down team. Um, that's a little bit low scoring, more defense. There's a couple teams throughout the NBA who play that style. Mm-hmm. It's going to be hard to compare them for what that score setting should be versus the Rockets, the Mavs, some of the teams that are a little bit more the Warriors of the past you know few years. Yeah. Um, you have to kind of consider that again. Both teams have to score to the same target. It's not like it's you know within the game itself it's unfair to a team, but how you set that target could be kind of skewed because not every team scores the same. So mm-hmm. you got to address that. Um, the it could take even longer if you have two very offensive challenge teams. Um, you know, yes, you, you eliminate the fouling, but if it's a close game and both teams, frankly, suck at offense, you could see this extend out even further than it would with the clock. It's a good point. Um, is to consider. And then the one little caveat is this ending on a free throw, which the NBA All-Star game did. Again, I don't necessarily think it's an issue, but Joel Embiid came out and made a big deal about it. A couple other people have said, for as amazing as it was, it was so anticlimactic to end on a free throw. Frankly, there's not a perfect way to solve for this. Yeah. Um, I was thinking about it, and so I got a couple little alternative uh, suggestions out there. Um, so, can end on you don't want to end on a free throw. You can't just say you can end on a free throw; it doesn't work because then team just fouls to you know from now until the end of time yeah. to extend it. Never let them shoot that free throw. Right, which is what we're trying to avoid in the first. Exactly. Place. So you've just you, you've you've sol- created a new way to end at the same problem. Yeah. Um, but so a couple things you can do is okay maybe. Um, when we get to that final basket, each team gets two fouls um, before there's free throws, so, and then you get to take it out. So you get to say that you know again in this game, Anthony Davis got fouled. They had one more foul. The you know team Giannis could have done to Team LeBron in order to extend it. Um, that way, you have a little bit of caveat. You try and avoid that free throw and force it into a shot, but you also almost have that safety valve of okay, you can't just sit here and just again every time someone has an open shot, just hack away to prevent it. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing I thought was really interesting, I actually heard this on G-Bag Nation on 105.3 The Fan the other day. Um, they Someone threw out this idea, I think it was someone from their little uh, texting that they have. Yeah. Take points away. So when you foul, the other team doesn't get free throws, they still get the ball, but you foul a two-point shot, you lose two points. You foul a three, you lose three points. Huh. So you're going for that target score, um, 
I don't hate it, that. It, it would st- again. I'm not sure. There's I'm sure there's issues with all these things, but um, it's just something I love that we're having this talk and we're able to bring this up to be able to discuss it since it is an exciting point. It's something different. It's not the same old, same old. Um, and so again, moving points, you know, getting the other team further away. So if you need to foul, you can, and they can't win on a free throw, but you just made it that much harder on yourself to win. Cause you're now that much further from your target score. Um, a lot of cool things. So, uh, the last thing I will leave you with is that one other little thing I've seen pop up in the sports community this week is, well, great. How do we implement something like this in all sports? I think people are missing the point of the Elam ending and why it is so unique to basketball and probably only appropriate for basketball. Right. Basketball is the only major professional sport that the clock can be extended seemingly indefinitely based on fouling, based on slowing the game down. Mm-hmm. And the NFL penalties don't slow the game down um, necessarily. It'll just extend drives even further. Um, in NHL, um, you could do something based on you know goals and stuff, but again, penalties and stuff, you don't extend the clock out. It's just a matter of if you penalize, you lose a player. You, you hurt your, you only hurt yeah, yourself. Yeah, it's, it's different. Yeah. Right. Um, MLB is just completely irrelevant because MLB doesn't have a clock. The whole idea is to eliminate a clock. Baseball is trying to go to a clock in order to solve timing issues. Right. Again, frankly, something that if you wanted to take a very kind of unique angle to is different in NBA. And so the MLB is almost moving back towards the other sports, whereas they're trying to move towards baseball and the not a set clock. But Right. Um, Interesting. It's really interesting. It's really cool. I loved it. I thought it was exciting. I definitely want to see it in more exhibitions. I want to see it in a larger sample size, maybe preseason, maybe G League, see how it plays out. We got lucky that the All-Star game had an incredible ending. There could have just as easily been a 20-point split, and it was still just as boring in the fourth quarter because the team, you know, team number two was so far behind that right. it doesn't matter whether we're doing clock or time or whatever, and all it would have done is slowed the game down, and people would have wondered, why are they doing this? Like, I don't know how much time's left in the game. They have to hit this score. We got lucky. We got the perfect situation to watch it unfold and how it could be awesome. Mm-hmm. I want to see a bigger sample size, see reactions, see how it actually impacts the time of games, things like that, before I'm willing to say, yes, this is the future of basketball. I have a couple of maybe devil's advocate points, I suppose. If if DeAndre Jordan is still on the opposing team, yep. is it still not prudent to foul him even in those situations because he's a 50% free throw shooter? That if if every time down the down the floor, you're giving them a fifty, uh, l- l- let's say you 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 seed one point every possession that they have, in order to get the ball back and yes. you make three, yes. right, two I, or three, right, like that problem could still exist as long as there are bad free throw shooters. Very very valid. This does not actually, and I, I probably misspoke earlier. This does not solve what the you know is famously called the hack a shack mentality. Yeah. Um, the hack of DeAndre, the hack of Dwight Howard. It's been over the years. Um, because yes, you are exactly right. If your expected points are still lower per possession with that guy shooting free throws than it is with the team having a normal offensive possession, Mm -hmm. it behooves you to do that. I think you still need rules in place where over so many team files or a team files on a specific person, it starts becoming a one shot in the ball out or something like that. You need some protection there. Really what this is even better for is the, there's two minutes left. We're down by 10. We're going to throw up a three every time down the court and foul you and make you shoot free throws. And that last two minutes now takes 15. That's much more what it's for compared to the larger strategy of the hack a shack. But excellent, excellent, valid point. It's a good. Yeah, it's it's really interesting to think about. It's inter- It's and there are also so many webs off of this that you could take oh, that yeah. I would love to explore, but we probably don't have time today. So we'll we'll just leave it there. But explore the the Elam ending in a little bit more uh, detail if you're interested in reading up on it. There are a lot of good articles out there on it, and uh, this has just kind of been your. Uh, 
your introductory course to the yeah, Elamite. Exactly. This is 101. Now go take the rest of the uh, seminar. Exactly. Exactly. All right. We're going to step aside for a quick break. When we get back, we're going to look at some analytics and HR. So don't go anywhere. We'll be right back on Diving Into Data. Hey, everyone. This is Kevin Stevenson. Listen to my show, I Don't Care, on Friday mornings at 9.30 a.m. Central Time. We'll be diving into a wide variety of interesting healthcare topics that you may not find anywhere else. Find us on marketscale.com and be sure to subscribe on iTunes or Spotify. All right, welcome back to Diving Into Data. Today, we're taking a look at data in HR. TC, tell us a little bit more about what we're looking at here. Yeah, so what we're talking about is uh, used by a couple terms. It's data in the HR world. It's called human analytics some places. It's called people analytics other places. What we're talking about, and we're actually, we're going to make people analytics our good old term of the week. Boom, boom, boom. Um, and what people analytics means uh, from a high level is using data. Data. Oh, my goodness. I mispronounced data. On data. 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 Just pronounce guys. it like a Texan. That's right. <laughs> Using data to bolster HR department's ability to recruit, hire, and retain great employees. Mm -hmm. So pretty much it's applying the analytics world to the HR world. Um, again, not just hiring, but also retention. And I think um, this is a field that uh, is viewed by a lot of people. If you were to take a straw poll on different departments in an organization and how much they could actually use data in their jobs, I think HR would probably be at the bottom of the list for just about everyone. Everyone assumes HR people, you know, people kind of directors, things like that. Well, no, it's entirely soft skills. It's entirely human to human interaction. It's entirely emotion. Um, you can't automate that. You can't, you know, apply data to it. But that's not necessarily what we're saying. I agree. I don't think that HR in that role, that department could ever truly be replaced by analytics. But just like everything else, if they use it the right way, it can absolutely make them more efficient, help them do their job better, help them get better information to be even better at their job. Right. Um, so any HR folks out there, don't view this as the, you know, the boogeyman coming for your job. No, <laughs> it's going to help you be even better and help you get a step up, be an even more awesome um, HR director, you know, director of culture, director of people, whatever the title may be. So um, there's a couple little things. The low hanging fruit in this process when we go through this is actually a little bit more just the automation technology um, aspects of it. And that is in the recruiting process, in the application process. Um, there always need to be a slight human element here, yes, but a lot of companies are, can move to a position where writing job descriptions is able to be more automated in-house based on certain skill sets, based on things you have. Mm -hmm. Doing recruiting, sending things out, you've already seen a massive shift to the online world, the LinkedIn's and stuff like that, job boards, um, continuing to develop that. that that's the low-hanging fruit. We're not even really going to touch on that. We're just going to move right on past that because that's already in place. Everyone's already doing that stuff. Now, what I think is overlooked is analyzing internal needs, and this is something that we have frankly and honestly struggled with a little bit at market scale. We've put a lot of time and effort into kind of solving around this problem, but forecasting, staffing, capacity models, things of that nature. Right. Not necessarily um, either do we have enough bandwidth today? Um, and probably more importantly, are we going to have enough in a month and in three months and in six months and da, 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 da. So there's a lot that ties into that, obviously, around business analytics, but that's something that from a staffing perspective, um, we know that the hiring cycle is not quick. Even if it's more automated, you're more efficient, you guys have a really good, clean process, it still takes time to find the right people. You don't always just have that person ready to say, bam, you can start tomorrow. Um, people need time to switch jobs. All this stuff is in place. So what I think that people need to start looking at is 
what they can do internally in order to um, better utilize information, better utilize data, um, better utilize some of the things that they have at their disposal that they're not really necessarily doing. Right. Um, there's a study from LinkedIn that said 55% of HR leaders struggle with people analytics and just view it as something that's a threat or not, a, you know, not in any way helpful to their job. Over half of people think this can't be used, and that's just kind of like, no, that, 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 that's not true. Um, for instance, sending out surveys to your team, um, getting more data based from them in order to analyze your current workforce and identify opportunities. Um, being able to send out different assessments and different, um, even uh, when I say assessment, it could be very different, anything from a quiz to even just having a phone call recorded from the person doing some machine learning type analysis on it in order to understand the sentiment and things like that and see if there would be a good cultural fit. Mm -hmm. All that's in play. All that's possible and something that should be considered. Um, but I think that a lot of people, where I'll spend the next few minutes on here is analyzing candidates. Cause I think a lot of people, when I said HR and people analytics, that's exactly where their mind went. Yeah. Um, so we're going to wrap back around a little bit to get into that retention piece of it, not just the recruiting and hiring aspect, but to do what it's due. Um, we know that when you're analyzing candidates, it is a mix of hard skills and soft skills. There's no doubt about it. Um, there are very, very few jobs out there that are hundred percent soft skills and, you know, just relational type, uh, interaction things. Um, and there are also very few that are hundred percent hard skills. Um, even fields like frankly, the data world, typically data engineers, data scientists typically are viewed as much more, pretty much it's hard skills. These soft skills don't matter. I am here to tell you that's definitely not true. Mm -hmm. The most effective ones definitely do have that ability to translate from one side to the other. That is a necessary component of anyone in any job. But um, we do acknowledge that there's going to have to be this human element here. There's going to have to be someone who can step in and take this analysis, take these things. Again, let's say um, you set up a um, some type of almost social listening platform for sentiment based on answers they give to understand their tone. Um, to be able to make, uh, you know, informed decisions on whether they're really a team player, whether um, they're more of an individual contributor, are they, um, are they excited about growth? Do they give answers that are a little more wishy-washy? That can help a lot in the hiring process. Analyzing candidates, again, being able to build machine learning models if you have a large enough workforce where you have a profile that does work and does fit. Yeah. You'd be able to theoretically build the, one of these machine learning models that could you dump in a candidate, it's able to retrieve pieces of information about the candidate, something that's a challenge here. We're going to circle back on here in 45 mm -hmm. seconds. Um, but analyze them in almost, uh, this sounds bad, but submit them into profiles and understand what profiles are or aren't going to work for this position in your company. I think there's a lot of opportunity out there. Um, I think it's something that not a lot of people are considering, but it's something that I would encourage. I would love to get more involved in. I'm actually, I'm going to start working with our HR department as I did the research here and realized, hey, we can probably be better about this, about using data for hiring. Um, but I do want to acknowledge that there are pitfalls to this. Uh, you know, there are shortcomings, but there are also solutions and advantages to using this. Um, some of the things that people think of is data privacy, data breaches. Um, again, once you have a lot of data, especially over people, now yeah. this becomes an ethical issue um, sure. and a, a, a big liability for a company because even probably more important than your um, you know, company level data is that person level data you have on your employees or prospects. Mm -hmm. You got to be careful with that in this world. Um, we know that we've talked about how we've talked about data privacy issues in the past. Um, so some of the solutions to kind of get around some of these things, um, consent for employment data, when you're having people apply, um, you have to give consent. Frankly, it's, I don't love the, um, you know, 
forced compliance for lack of a better term. But if you're applying for a job and this is something your company's implemented, I don't think it's unreasonable to ask for the consent to do that. If they don't consent, that's totally fine. That is absolutely their right. It's absolutely your right as a company not to consider them as a candidate because you can't fit them in the model. For sure. Um, and again, that that's not the staying away from ethical. This isn't based on demographics, isn't based on any type of discriminatory practice. It's just a, hey, we know what works. We have models that are able to fit this. If you're not going to allow us to have the inputs necessary to run this, we just can't consider you. You're, it's the same thing as if I said, well, I can't come in and interview. Um, you guys have to decide based on my resume. Mm -hmm. Well, no, that's not how we hire. Sorry, <laughs> that, that's not going to work here. Yeah. Um, data governance procedures, things about being really careful with data. Again, this is something, frankly, throughout every organization, every department needs to be in place. Um, keeping that data secure, siloed, um, uh, getting rid of it and expunging it and deleting records, cleaning stuff up when it's no longer necessary. Having good policies on that can definitely help you get around some of the data privacy, data breach stuff, or mm -hmm. um, at least um, minimize the risk associated with it, I should say. Being very strict on the usage. That's another thing is the access and the usage of this being very, very specific about what it can and can't be used for, what can and can't be used. Pretty much make the ethical decisions on the front end of the models, um, ensuring that there's no ethical lines being crossed as part of this. And then once you've done that and established that only these things, which are, you know, there's no gray area here about the you know ethical nature of these. Now we can use this data. Now we can be careful about how we use this data. Um, and then anonymizing data, if you can, especially when it comes back to that retention piece, Definitely. sending out more surveys, being able to get more data points on your active workforce. If there's concerns of the big brother watching over my shoulder aspect, you can still anonymize data and use this from a higher company perspective, a higher management perspective for, hey, in our manufacturing sector over here, I don't need to know that Bob has an issue with, you know, his manager, Jane. Um, but if I get a bunch of Bobs to fill out the survey and we realize that there seems to be a systemic issue of um, micromanagement, let's say, I don't know, whatever we're talking about here, you can use that to coach, educate, work with your teams, make them better, help them work better together. Um, and it can be all anonymous. So it, it, we're not even saying that it always has to be a one-on-one -on -one solution. It can be general. Where applicable, maybe there is some more one-on-one -on -one type stuff there you could analyze. But Definitely. Um, the main takeaway here as we're getting near the end of the show is just that um, analytics and HR haven't necessarily gone together like every other part of the business. Mm -hmm. It's not as easy to see. It's not as easy for people to connect the dots. Um, while fully acknowledging there's a human element, it's something that I think is a massive opportunity to a lot of companies. And as employee recruiting and retention is probably becoming even a little more difficult, especially in a good economy, um, companies that are able to make investments into this, look into this, even just do some basic research, put in some very, you know, get that really low level hanging fruit. Um, if they're able to do that, they're going to have a lot more success than people who are stuck a little bit doing the old way. And I think when we look five, 10 years, um, I've seen some studies that this could grow up to like 60, 70% the utilization of this in the mm. next five, 10 years. Um, I, I think that HR is going to come around to this and it's no longer the exception, the way it's been viewed. Um, it's just maybe a late adopter. Real quick, are there ways to measure ROI on various hiring platforms, like be it Indeed, LinkedIn, things like that? Yeah, absolutely. So they have some great analytics. Um, you can, from a very, very, very um, low level, do some quick analysis over your spends with those platforms or the amount of time and effort that went into that versus the number of employees you did. But even better, um, I encourage you maybe build a much more um, intrinsic model into your business that is able to evaluate different positions, the value of those positions, looks at the retention of mm -hmm. those employees. Um, obviously, retention is a huge piece. <clears throat> Pardon me. 
if you are great at hiring but not good at retaining, well, you're going to be doing a lot of hiring and wasting a lot of money and time and effort on that hiring. Um, but all those platforms have actually really good analytics in them if you go dig into them. Um, again, the LinkedIn, Indeed, Glassdoor, ZipRecruiter, you name it out there. It has some really cool analytics. You can analyze what you're spending, the time you're spending, and what you're getting back. Um, the only cautionary tale there is make sure you don't get too caught up in um, what I've referenced before here is the counting numbers. Just because you have a lot of applicants for something you're not spending a lot of money on does not automatically equate to it being an effective thing or well, we have 95% retention in our operations department of employees year over year. We almost never lose anyone. Don't automatically assume that the only reason for that is a very effective hiring policy. You might right. just have a real, you know, awesome manager or, you know, leadership in there and stuff, and they get to do really cool stuff that interests a lot of people. Yeah. Don't. Sometimes you get lucky. Yes, exactly. So uh, what I'm saying here is, I guess, is. Yes, there are definitely ways to do that. Yes, you should pursue that and try and identify those ways to look at the ROI. Um, maybe even look at ROI amongst a number of different kind of approaches or platforms that you take, but don't be blind to external factors. Again, with everything we talk about, there's always external influences. Um, if you ignore them, it will come back to bite you. As long as you consider them, you can mitigate that risk and appropriately account for them. Boom. Boom. HR, analytics. NBA, Elam, we're just throwing out terms from today. Is yeah, we are. That's, cool. that's, 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 that's what we're doing. That's, that's what we're doing. All right. That's all we have time for, TC. Unfortunately, it is. And uh, we'll be back in two weeks if that's correct, right? We're going to have a little bit of a uh, vacation next week. So that we'll is correct. Here. That is correct. I'm going to Mexico. Yeah, well, I'm not, but uh, uh, no one wants to listen to just me. So. <laughs> I'm going to Mexico, and then i got to come back, and then i got to go do a video shoot in Houston. So from, from paradise to... Houston. Not paradise. The armpit. Go bang on some trash cans while you're down there for me, would you? I'll do that. <laughs> Only if a curveball's coming. <laughs> Thanks, Tyler. All right, everyone. Thanks, DC. See you.